Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I am Chad Young, joined this week by Pete Ball. He is back after missing last week. I apologize for subjecting you to 40 minutes of my own ramblings. Now I apologize for subjecting you to the jingling of my dog's collar as he runs into the room. He wants to know what's going on. He's very excited about this. Ruffles just runs around the house naked. No collar. No so. collar. Yeah, she's a secret assassin because we got carpeting too. Your so dog's you name never is Ruffles. Know. So she was named. So she's a she's a rescue, and she was named Rufflet because they did. So they Rufflet. go through. Yeah, they go through like phases, and apparently Rufflet is a Pokemon, and they were in a Pokemon phase. That's the place where we got her from, and so I, I didn't want to name her that, but she was already responding to it. So I said, "What about Ruffles?" And we went with Ruffles. Okay. And we consider her birthday because we don't know her birthday the same day as the guy who invented the potato chip. You just give her that day, huh? Yeah, that's her day. Yeah, it's a summer like birthday. It. It's a good idea. <laughs> and my dogs, I have two dogs, and they are they are named after college football coaches. Okay. So my my wife and I, before we were married, adopted a dog uh, who, when we adopted him, his name was Ernie. But he was not really responding to it yet. So we changed it to Hayes. We're both from Ohio, both Ohio State fans growing up. And so sure. the, the combined family connection to Ohio State went with a Woody Hayes. And then <laughs> a couple years later, she was like, I think we should get a second dog. And I was like, I don't want a second dog. She was like, no, we should get a second dog. And I was like, no, no, no I don't want a second dog. And then I basically said, all right, here's the deal. You got an Ohio State coach. If we get a second dog, I get to name the dog Fitz for Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. <laughs> and she was like, well, okay. And I was like, but I still want a second dog. And last year during the pandemic, she finally convinced me that we should get a second dog. Hayes nice. is getting up there. He's like 12. You know, you don't know how much longer he's gonna be around. And yeah, yeah. so we got Fitz. Fitz and is so, a great name for a dog. It is. Those Hayes. That's a, it's a couple of good names for dogs. Yeah, we like them. Fitz, <laughs> the, the funny thing is, so Fitz, right? The first dog gets a Ohio State name. Fitz, when he, we adopted him, his name was Griffin, like Archie Griffin, the two-time Heisman Trophy winner from Ohio State. So for a moment, she was like, maybe we shouldn't change his name. Maybe it's meant to be. And I was like, no, we agreed. Yeah, this was... I want my I want my Northwestern dog. So now I got my Northwestern dog. So well done. we're not here to talk about dogs. We could. We could do a podcast about dogs. I love talking about my dogs. <laughs> but that's not what we're focused on. My wife would uh, actually listen to keep it. Keep or cut focused... <laughs> That's right. New from the Pitchless Podcast Network, Chad and Pete talk dogs. Not dogs in general, <laughs> just their own dogs. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's that's totally what people want. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> as we move off of dogs, starting to think about two things right now, right? I mean, we've been talking about this, I feel like, for weeks, but like you got your playoffs or your stretch run, and you've got you got to start thinking about the offseason in your keeper leagues. And we want to talk a little bit about both of those today. We're going to start off with some of the off-season stuff that you might be thinking about. And what, honestly, Pete, all I want to talk about is there are a bunch of players who I don't know what to make of. They're just confusing. I don't understand their seasons. I don't know what I think about them yet. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn our listeners ahead of time that a lot of what you're going to hear here, I think, at least coming from me, is going to be questions I have and stuff I'm going to look at in the offseason. I don't necessarily have answers for you yet because I'm still just sort of perplexed by these guys. And we should probably start with the uh, the inspiration for this segment, which was we, we talked a few weeks ago about a trade I was looking at making in my CBS head-to-head keeper league where I was tired of waiting for Mookie Betts to get healthy, got an opportunity to trade him for Jose Altuve, who's been great for me, Josh Hader, who's been great for me. And the inspiration for the, we have no idea what to make of this guy. It's very, very confusing segment that we're about to do. Aaron Nola, who I looked at and was like, this guy's got great matchups down the stretch. Everything looks good. He's not a keeper at his price, but that's okay. He's going to set me up well in the playoffs. And then... Last night, his first start of the finals for me. So we're recording this on Friday night. So Thursday night, he makes his first start of the finals for me. He is at home. He is facing a terrible Pittsburgh team. 
could not be a better matchup. And he goes out and gives up six runs on six hits and a walk in six innings. He also struck out eight and only walked one. So you have this weird thing where like from a fantasy perspective, this start, the earned run average is obviously terrible. Seven walks and hits in six innings is a totally acceptable whip. Eight strikeouts to one walk. I happen to play in this league. This league happens to have strikeout to walk ratio as a category. That's a great strikeout to walk ratio. Eight strikeouts in six innings. Like, had he given up three runs instead of six with everything else in that line being the same, I would have been thrilled. I would have been ecstatic. He would have gotten me a quality start, 4.5 ERA. Fine, I'll live with that. But a great strikeout to walk ratio, a good whip. But instead, he gave up six runs. All of them came in one inning. He just absolutely imploded. And it feels like that's been his season. Sorry, they didn't all come in one inning. He gave up five in the second and one in the third. So they came in two innings. But I feel like that's been his season where I look at his line at the end and I'm like, if I look at this half of his line, I'm really happy. And if I look at that half of his line, it looks like he got completely blown up. I'm just, I'm at a loss, Pete. I'm at a loss. It's it's especially perplexing because... He's, he has the best walk rate of his career. It's the second best strikeout rate of his career. You look at his FIP, his XFIP, his Sierra, his expected ERA. He should be having an ace-like season. Now, the strand rate is very low. Uh, so there's definitely an element of luck there. But I think, honestly, I, I well, I don't know what to think. First of all, I still think this is the most confusing case I've I've ever looked at. But there's two things that are clear, and they're both related. Home runs have been a major problem. I think it was Kibrian Hayes that that tagged him in that start against the Pirates his last time out, the one that you were just talking about. And, and Hayes has been hot, but it's been a constant issue for him. He has given up a ton of bombs this year. He's up at 26, 26, yeah, 26 homers given up. That's ninth worst in baseball. Now, granted, that's a volume stat, and he's pitched a lot of innings. So when you throw a lot of innings, you're going to get a lot give up a lot of home runs but you know, this isn't this isn't crazy new for him he gave up 27 home runs in 2019 and he gave up nine home runs last year which comes out to you know 20 something home runs if you prorate it to a, a normal season his home run for per fly ball rate is inflated it's at 14.1 percent that's the lowest it's been since 2018 <laughs> now his home run right. per nine is higher and that points to an issue keeping the ball down, I guess. Right? Is he get, he must be giving up more fly balls than he had been? He is. This and, is and sure enough, it, his ground ball rate is way down. And that was the second thing I was going to say. I mean, he, you look at his ground ball rate, and I mean, I, I don't know what's going on there because stole your punchline. No, no, that's okay. I mean, I, you know, like we said, we didn't we didn't do a deep dive on these guys that we're going to talk about today yet. We're just kind of looking at them and wondering what the heck is going on, trying to figure out what we're going to look for this offseason. And that ground ball rate, I I don't know what's going on there, but just I mean, just so folks can can get the numbers, he's at forty point three percent ground ball rate so far this season. He's a career forty eight point eight percent ground ball rate guy. That's a huge difference. If he could get back up around that 50% ground ball rate, I mean, he'd be having like a Cy Young season. And it looked like he was having one last year too in the shortened season. So, I mean, I it could be a fluke. I don't know. I, I'm baffled on Aaron Nola. I don't remember a season so confusing before. And it really is. It's the ground ball rate and it is the the, the strand rate. Because if you look at his... Like if you look at his ERA predictors, you mentioned this before. Last year he had a 3.19 FIP. This year it's 3.38. Last year he had a 2.79 XFIP. This year it's 3.31. 3.25 Sierra last year. 3.20 Sierra this year. Super similar numbers. His strikeout rate is down a little bit from last year, but it's still over 11. Like you said, second best of his career. He is walking a full batter less per nine innings than he did last year. Um. And we talked about these home run issues, but like I said, his home run per fly ball rate is down from where it was the last two years. His home run per nine is up, but it's not up a ton. He just, he's not getting the ball on the ground. And that's that strand rate of 66.8%. Uh, it's it's bad. <laughs> like that's, that's a, and it's a weird thing to call bad because pitchers, you know, I think most of what we, what we believe to be true, and maybe this isn't fair, but most of what we believe to be true is that that's out of a pitcher's control. He has, of the 42 pitchers qualified for the RA title, he has the second lowest strand rate. Wow. 
And so I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's just bad luck. I don't know. One of the things I will look at this offseason, and, and we talked about, you know, what are the questions we have? Is he struggling out of the stretch? Like, is it one of these things where, like, his numbers, does he, you know, and we can probably, I wonder if we can look at that pretty quickly at uh, his numbers when he has, you know, got guys on base. Because if he's, you know, if it's just BABIP and bad luck with guys on base, then so be it. I mean, what are you going to do about that? So this year, base is empty. So his WOBA against him is 267. With men on base, it's 345. And with men in scoring position, it is 394. So he is definitely getting hit hard once guys get on base. His walk rate is 1.22. Actually, let's use percentages here because it'll be a little bit more clear. 3.3% walk rate when the bases are empty. 8.2% with men on base. 8.8% with men in scoring position. His strikeout rate goes from 32.2% with bases empty to 272 with men on base and 25% with men in scoring position. That's pretty drastic difference. And so it is not just sort of BAPIP, although his BAPIP does go up quite a bit from 296 when the bases are empty to 325 with men on base and 359 with men in scoring position. But that's not all it is because his FIP is 2.80 with the bases empty and 4.38 with men on base. So, I mean, it, it, so, it could be something where it's it's out of the stretch or it's just when he loses it, he really loses it. But it really makes that yeah. ground ball rate so odd because like the fact that his ground ball rate is so low and yet his BABIP is so high. I mean, it's just it's another wrinkle in the confusion of Aaron Nola this year. Yeah, and. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at his numbers and I want to I want to buy in. I mean, I did, right? I I made him a key piece of a trade I made to get myself ready for the playoffs in one of my longest standing sort of most valued leagues. And uh it hasn't really worked out the way I wanted. And now I'm stuck like I don't know, my my fir- like a first glance at his numbers and you see the second highest strikeout rate of his career and the lowest walk rate of his career and good ERA indicators. And I'm thinking I'm going to have him everywhere next year. Like that's my first thought is I'm going to have him on every one of my teams next year because I'm going to be high on him and everyone else is going to be low. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of him. So I'm, I'm not yet declaring that I'm going to have him on every team. That is my, my instinct. My first instinct is to think, that ground ball rate's probably going to come back up. It seems unlikely that he just lost the ability to get the ball on the ground. And that strand rate is going to come up be- just because it has to. Like, he could he could have problems pitching with men on base, and that strand rate will still likely come up next year just because yeah. it's so low. That could definitely be the um, case. I mean, I, but I don't know. When I think about Aaron Nolan and I look at those numbers, I think this is going to be the path, right? Going into the season, he's going to be... Well, I shouldn't say going into the season, going into draft season, he's going to be ranked pretty low. I think he's going to be ranked outside the top 20 starting pitchers, possibly because so many guys moved up this year. You know, your Robbie Rays, your Freddie Peralta's Corbin Burns, so on and so forth. And then as the draft season progresses, he's going to continue to climb boards because people are going to dig a step deeper. They're going to see that expected ERA. They're going to see the XFIP, so on and so forth. So I think if I have Aaron Nola shares next year, it's going to be in my early drafts where he's push down and as draft season progresses and I kind of expect him to push up because of those underlying numbers. I don't know. I mean, like who, who do we expect him to be ranked near? Maybe like Robbie Ray, something like that. Not that I'm putting all my faith in. He'll be below Ray. He will be. But as draft season progresses, I could see him being pushed up towards Ray. I mean, Ray's only a year removed from being abysmal. And it's not like a Lucas Giolito turnaround he's had because Giolito is still young. So I think there's still going to be a little reluctancy to buy in. Yeah. So the the other quick note on Nola, just a thing to to notice, um, I pulled up his baseball savant page. He is throwing his four-seam fastball 38.1% of the time. Last year, that was 25.3%. It was 35.4% the year before that, 36.5%. So he is... He is throwing his four-seamer more than he ever has before. And his curveball, which had been up over 30%, was like 2019, he threw his curveball and his fastball almost equal amounts of the time. 35.4% for his four-seamer, 35.2% for his curveball. His curveball this year is down to 27.1%. It was 
at 27.4 last year. But last year, his fastball, curveball, and change, he was all in sort of a 25 to 27% range. There's a much bigger divide now. And he's at 38% on the four-seamer, 27% on the curve, 20% for the change. His sinker is down to 13.4%. And he's apparently thrown a cutter 1.4% of the time, which he didn't previously throw at all. So maybe that's just a classification error. Um, but... Yeah, that's something to look at again. I, and I don't, I have no conclusions to draw from that, but last year you basically like, if you wanted to guess what he was throwing, you had to do, you were totally picking out of a hat because that change up fastball and curveball were just as likely to show up. And the sinker wasn't that far behind two years ago, his fastball and curveball were almost identical in terms of usage and his change up and sinker were close this year. There's very clear division between that. So that, that pitch mix change is something else to look at. I am curious, <clears throat> given that he's had so many runners on and he's had such a rough season that he's like he's constantly finding himself in trouble, if that's why he's relying more on the fastball. And ultimately, it just, it just messes up his approach. It's definitely going to be worth looking into to see how often was he using that fastball with no one on versus how often was he like, all right, here we go. I got traffic on the bases again. I got to bear down and start throwing fastballs and I'm willing to bet that's led to some of his trouble but I don't know this guy no matter how, we continue to dig and I just continue to get more questions as opposed to answers so maybe time to move on to the next player yeah no I think that's a good point though it's like does he you know did he stop trusting some of his other pitches and so he only wants to go to his fastball when he gets into trouble and then you know everything falls apart but you're right we've just talked a whole lot with no answers more questions <laughs> Who else do you have questions about? Oh, you brought him up before the show. And I mean, I don't think people want to hear about him, but we should at least mention Cody Bellinger if this is the topic. He's it's funny because I know I'm going to end up with so many Cody Bellinger shares next year. Like, I, I just know it's going to happen. I just feel like there's still too much talent there in between the shoulder issue and, and being out and the swing change for no reason last year and all of this stuff. It's like the talent's still there. It's still an MVP. And you know, there's been some unfair criticism on Twitter as well. I've seen guys say like, well, he's really only had like two elite months. Like, I don't know. That, that's not fair to me. Like the, he had a great rookie season and then won an MVP. Like, he was still good enough in the second half of that year to, to still. And I know it was bad, but to still win an MVP. I'm not ready to say that Cody Bellinger's this giant fluke, but he's going to be a weird one in drafts. I mean, think about it. Going into this year, he was a top two first baseman. I had him number one. I had him over Freeman. Freeman has just continued to roll. I mean, I was shocked to see he's hitting over 300 after the start he got off to. Uh, but, I mean, Bellinger's not even going to sniff that. He's he, Is he going to go top 100 next year? Does he have guaranteed playtime next year? Is he going to be traded? I mean, he's like a reclamation project at this point, and I'm so intrigued at the discount that we could get in drafts. And that's the only reason why I want to bring him up is I know he's going to be in my radar. And I just know the type of players I draft, Chad, I'm going to end up with so many shares of Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to find it now because um, Shelly, I think it's, I always mispronounce her last name. And so I'm going to apologize to Shelly before I even say it because she's one of the managers at Pitcher List. And so we shouldn't get this wrong. <laughs> but I believe her last name is Verugstraight, Verugstraight. But, I always mess that up. I apologize. I think she had a tweet about him not long ago, and I'm trying to find it now, talking about struggles with high fastballs. And I've got to, I got to see if I can find it because it was very eye-opening and it led to a question for me of one of two things. One, is he like, has he just been exposed? Right? Is there is there an actual hole in his swing that pitchers are realizing and able to take advantage of, or is he still hurt and still dealing with shoulder stuff, or still recovering from the shoulder stuff stuff? And I I don't know. I mean, because like an issue with your shoulder preventing you from getting good swings on pitches up in the zone <laughs> doesn't seem unlikely to me. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make. Um, 
I don't know what to make of him other than hoping that it's just an injury issue. And I think I will spend a lot of the season, I guess, trying to convince myself that that's what it is or that's what it's not so that I can make a decision about what I'm going to do. Cause I, I just don't know. I don't know what to make of him at all. And I like, cause his, his numbers are not confusing, right? He's been terrible. Yeah. This isn't an Aaron Nola situation where you're like, everything looks good except for the surface. No, he's, like, been brutal. he's just been really bad. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those things when you're down, you're down and that dude, I think he's, I think he's broken at the plate. I think he needs to have an off season. And I think that's huge for some players, especially a young player like Bellinger, who's at the top of the world and now just can't figure anything out. And he's probably questioning everything. I, I think he just needs an off season where they can focus on him, figure out the holes in his game, get that, uh, that old approach back at the plate, uh, uh, that swing change, man, I, who knows if that's what the actual issue was, but what a poor decision. And at the time, I didn't even think it was that big of a deal. So I thought, hey, he was bad in the second half. He's trying to fix it. Anyway, I'm going to bank on great organization, terrific talent. They're going to figure it out. He needs an offseason. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a weird situation. You you made a comment about like maybe he gets traded, which given all the talent they have is certainly on the table. If I, I I have so much faith in the Dodgers to be able to fix problems with players and help players become sort of the best version of themselves and stuff like that, that I kind of feel like if I found out the Dodgers were trading him, I would just be like, Oh no, 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 no. I don't want any part of him. <laughs> like, and, and which, which makes me wonder how they trade him. Because I think if I were like, I don't know, Cleveland could use some outfield help, right. As a, as a soon to be guardians fan, I know we could use some outfield help. But if I'm the Cleveland front office and the Dodgers are like willing to talk about Bellinger, I think I'm like, ah, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> like if you're open to trading him, then this is probably not a good idea. Yeah, no, unless it's just a financial thing for them. You know, they're, they've they got Seager coming off the books. Kershaw, obviously, they'd love to bring Scherzer back. And, you know, when Scherzer got traded, I thought the idea was he's only going to agree to a trade if, if he agrees to an extension. Nothing came to fruition. But that's a, that's three pretty significant names and so if, if they look at Bellinger's like look maybe we can figure him out but if we don't and he's an almost 20 million hit on our books and, and this is a team that's not afraid to spend but I mean if they could get out of that situation and 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 keep a player who's actually playing well like a Corey Seager they might be interested in in moving him even though they think he could still be a player yeah that's totally fair and I think you're you're right I just think I think they're gonna have a Man, I think they'd have a hard time trading him. I, I think you get into a really interesting question of like, if he's if they actually think he might be a $20 million hit, right? Because he's, he's going to arbitration, right? Yes, the next he's, three years. So if they really think he's going to be that expensive, at what point do they start to question whether they offer him arbitration? Yeah, that's like, a scary I, thought. I, I don't yeah. know. Can you really not offer a, a guy who... MVP, especially with the money they have, right. right? Because they can burn the money if they want to. It's it's a is a, and the reality is, your first year of arbitration, he's not going to get that much. Sure. Like I think it's, I think it'll be a no brainer for them. But man, so real quick, that I did find that that tweet I mentioned from Shelley. She says so from September fifth, MLB pitchers have found the hole in Bellinger's game. Belly against high fastballs in twenty twenty one, zero four five average. <sighs> With 75% K rate. He saw a 3.4% increase in the offering this year. Dude has been figured out. Shelly is a smart person. She knows a lot about the game and I trust her analysis. She's one of my go-tos, especially for prospect stuff. But this kind of like player evaluation, I'm, I, I, I take her word seriously. And so uh, that that was a scary one for me. I did not like seeing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that's not... It's not music to my ears, <laughs> um, but I mean, look—it's a game of adjustments. He's in a great organization, and at one point in time, he had great talent. If if his career is really going down because someone decided, "Hey, let's start throwing this guy high fastballs," then man, did the league really mess up for an entire season because he feasted <laughs> on on just getting away with people not throwing him high fastball. So, absolutely, clearly, there's a hole, and clearly, they've found something. 
I think it's now time for for him to adjust. So once we talk about Cody Bellinger, I think it's a uh, a law, in fact, that when you talk about Cody Bellinger, you also have to talk about Christian Yelich because <laughs> they just they go hand in hand as your your disappointing outfielders yes. that were, were near the top. So last year, Yelich got uh, crazy passive. Right. So in 2019, he had a 30.6% O swing, a 71.2% Z swing. Last year, those were down to 20.3% chasing, 60.1% swinging at pitches in the zone. He seemed to have somewhat corrected that this year. So his O swing went up a little bit to 22.7, but that's okay. You don't need that to go up a lot. His Z swing went back up to 67.2%, which is still lower than it was in 2019, but it's higher than it was in 2018, 2017, 2016, like plenty of good seasons. So that piece looks pretty good. His strikeout rate was 30.8% last year, came back down to 24.9% this year. His walk rate that was up to 18.6% last year because he was so passive is down to 14.3% this year. That 14.3% is still the second best walk rate of his career. Now, the strikeout rate is still the second worst strikeout rate of his career. So that's a little concerning. He had a bad BAPIP last year at 259. That's recovered back to 319. So like lots of things looking good. A lot of stuff you feel like, okay, he's moving back the right direction. Maybe not all the way to where he was, but he didn't have to move back. Like His WOBAs in 2018 and 2019 were 422 and 442. He didn't need to come all the way back. Last year, he had a 343 Wobo. Everybody was like, he's terrible. What happened to him? That's actually a totally fine line. It's just not what you want from Christian Yelich. He's at 316 this year. His home run per fly ball rate is 12.5%, which is lower than it was in his last two years with Miami before he sort of figured out his home run swing. His fly ball rate is 24.1%, which is the second lowest it's been since he came to Milwaukee. So he's returned to some some old bad habits, it seems like. But the biggest thing to me is that that um, that home run per fly ball rate being down is because his exit velocities are down, right? His average exit velocity is down. His barrel rate is down. His hard hit rate is down. And so all of his X stats sort of follow the overall line. His max exit velocity is actually fine. It's 114.9. It's the second highest max exit velocity of his career. So I'm a little perplexed because I feel like he figured out some of these plate discipline issues. He's still only 29. So he shouldn't be like, he shouldn't be hitting a point where like his swing is falling apart because of age and decline and slowing bat speed and stuff like that. He was just cut in one of my auto new leagues. He had a $54 salary. He's cut. So he's going to be available for auction in the next couple of days. Someone will probably start an auction at $27 minimum bid. It's a league where I am co-managing a team with Niv Shah, the guy who is the, the man behind Auto New. And he asked me, he was like, you know, what do you think? How much do you want to bid on him if this auction gets started? And I was like, I don't know that 27 is low enough. I don't know that I want to keep a $30 Christian Yelich next year. So we have a lot of cap space. We may make a bid anyways. We have to sort of figure that out. But I don't know. Do you want a $30 Christian Yelich next year? Uh, in short, no. I will say he's they're going to make the playoffs. He's going to have a time to – he's going to have an opportunity to kind of Randy or Rosarena and maybe turn it on in the playoffs. $30, that's that's too high for my liking. You mentioned the 343 Woba. Here's what's concerning to me. In the first – so he had a 343 Woba last year, right? In the first half of this year, guess what his Woba was? 343. What it's been in the second half? It's 286. It looks like... Yeah, he's been on a downward trend. Yeah, and I I think he's just the cha- like constantly changing his approach. Like I think he's just trying to put the ball in play. His walk rate in the first half was almost 20%. In the second half, it's 8%. His K rate in the first half, though, was 28%. In the second half, it's 22 I think he's just now like trying to put the bat on the ball, and that would explain the decline in the exit velocity if he's taken a little bit off to just put the ball in play. But like, dude, that's clearly not the answer. So he's fishing. And if he's fishing to find the answer, he is not a $30 player. No, I think that the scary thing for me is, had that been the case last year, you'd been like, oh, he's fishing. And then he spent the off season and, you know, 2020 was a weird year and blah, blah, blah. And he then spent the off season. And he put things together. We're now going on a year and a half of this. So it reminds me a little bit of like, I don't know if this was as big outside of Cleveland as it was in Cleveland, but in 2019, 
Jose Ramirez had that first half of the season yep. that he just struggled. He wasn't as good, right? And in when you look back at the numbers, he was going the other way a little bit more. He was going up the middle a little bit more. And at some point over, I think over the All-Star break, someone was like, dude, turn on the ball. That's what made you a star. Go back to doing that. And he did. And he's been fine. And like guys can go through that for three months, even a full season, right? A full season of like, I've been trying to do this. I can't now. Now I can't fix it because I was trying to do it. If you go through a season of that, even a two month season, and then you go through a full off season of being able to get yourself right. And then you go through another season of that and you're still searching. Then I start to wonder if there's not an answer to be found. Not to mention all the back issues. I mean, Mm -hmm. who knows? I'm I'm not even going to try to play doctor, but you got to bring it up. The guys had serious back problems. It reminds me a little bit of, um, and maybe CC Sabathia is a good example of this for pitchers. It happens with pitchers, I think, a lot. Adam Wainwright might be another good example of these guys who have a skill that they get by on that makes them great as pitchers. They lose it and they go through a year or two where they're like, just not that good. And then they figure something out and they figure out a new way to pitch. They add a new pitch. They change the grip on something. And like, I think we see that happen with pitchers and they get these late career renaissance because they, they go from being a guy who can, you know, can't throw 95 anymore, but I've added this, you know, curveball that I didn't have before. I've changed the shape of my curveball or whatever. Um, I don't know what the analogous situation is for a hitter. And, Yelich's calling card has always been plate discipline and the ability to hit the ball really hard. Like those are the two things he's always been good at. Even back in his Miami days when he wasn't an MVP candidate, he was smoking the ball and everyone was like, lift it, right? Get it up in the air and and you'll see what, what you can do. If he's not hitting the ball that hard anymore and he can't figure out how to match his plate discipline with the ability to crush the ball, I, I, I don't know. And maybe what he has to do is give up one of those things. And and if he does, then he's not as appetizing yeah. as he was before. I mean, it, it hitters, it's like the only two that come to mind are, are Hall of Famers. There was a period of time where Ortiz looks completely washed. I remember being a kid listening to the radio and they were saying, maybe we should just wave him. And then he obviously turned into a god again and won us a World Series. And Joey Votto this year, I mean, he would... Who who had Joey Votto on their radar (laughs) and he's putting forward an absolute monster fantasy season, but it probably not a good sign. If the two guys who (laughs) you're trying to replicate in terms of you've just lost it and you're trying to get it back are Ortiz and Votto. I mean, it's probably not a good situation. I have to add a pitcher to the ones that you listed there. Now you said Wainwright and who was the other one? CC Sabathia. Sabathia. That's right. Verlander Verlander. There was a point in time where he looked washed and then all of a yeah. sudden he's throwing, you know, 98 again and throwing no hitters and winning a World Series. So um, and I just had to throw that out there. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. He's another one just completely lost is Yellick. Yeah, it's it's sort of a yeah, super perplexing. We'll see. I mean, maybe maybe there is an approach like. Like maybe you should look at what Votto did this season. I bet he should like call Joey Votto. I bet Joey Votto would be happy to talk to him. Votto seems like the kind of guy who'd be thrilled to like you know, get on the call, share state talk, secrets talk, with, a, with a rival, <laughs> with a division rival. I, I just, you know, my sense of Joey Votto is that like, he'd be like, yeah, dude, I love talking hitting. Yeah. Like, let's talk hitting. <laughs> but who knows? Um, But Votto, you know, another guy who always did a good job putting the bat on the ball, hit the ball hard, but power wasn't his calling card. His calling card was his eye. And this year, his plate discipline has not been as good as it has been in the past, but he is smoking the yeah. ball. And maybe that's what Yellick needs to do. Maybe some, maybe someone needs to tell Yellick, like, look, you're going to lose your on-base percentage. It's going to fall off. Don't lose your ability to hit the ball hard. If you strike out more, you strike out more. If you walk less, you walk less. Take hard cuts. It's actually, it's very similar to the Jose Ramirez story, right? That like, don't worry about using all the fields. Don't try to get, you know, don't try to get it. Don't try to raise your batting average by hitting the ball to down, you know, down the opposite field line more often. Just hit the ball hard and good things will happen. And, and maybe that's what it is with Yellick. Maybe. I think Votto literally said that. I think he said, like, I'm just trying to hit home runs now. Like, like yeah. half jokingly, but being like, dude, that's my game now. So, yeah, no, I was, I mean, the other day he had, he had two 
two days ago, yesterday, something like that. Recently, he had two. And literally, the first thing I saw was a comment from someone saying, well, I guess he decided he wanted a two today. Because <laughs> it just seems like it's a, it was like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I I want to hit home runs. So now I'm doing that. It's like, That's awesome. Yeah. And I love Joey Votto. Um, so I have nothing to talk about with Joey Votto because he doesn't confuse me. But one last guy who's confusing me. And then if you've got another one, we can talk more. But um, Trent Grisham. Yeah. Trent Grisham had such a great start to the year. Then he got hurt. He had a, a bruise on it, a bone bruise or something on his heel, on his left heel, which for a left-handed hitter is his plant foot. It was supposed to be, he was supposed to miss the minimum. He ended up missing a little bit longer than that. And since he's come back, he's been legitimately terrible. And a lot of that, his, his walk rate and strikeout rate have looked good. His play disciplines look fine. A lot of it is power and his ability to just hit the ball with authority. And I am. At this point, I'm literally just waiting to see if the Padres are going to say in the offseason or if Grisham's going to say in the offseason, like, I couldn't push off my left foot all year. And the Padres are going to say, you know, Jay Singler is going to be like, look, his defense is good enough in center field and his value as a guy who even if he can't hit for power is good enough to us that we kept him on the field. We wanted him out there. We like he was still useful to us, but he needs to get his foot right this offseason. And you know, maybe had they been running away with the West, he would have sat for a month instead of a couple weeks and he would have been fine, but they needed him. And so they, like, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping that's the case because I love Trent Grisham and he's been atrociously bad since he came back. He has been, he's been really bad. I mean, it, it is worth pointing out the age, still just 25 years old. You could take that as a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, if we want to go back to the Bellinger example, maybe something was figured out, but I, I, I'm going to be the optimist and, sort of with you. I like the talent too much. He's still walking a lot. He's striking out less than he did before. So another guy who, and it sounds like a broken record, but this is how I think going into draft season, like who are guys who I still like the talent's still there who just maybe, maybe they just needed an off season. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Like you're, you just said with Christian Yelich, like sometimes it doesn't work, but for Trent Grisham, it's another guy who I'm going to have in a lot of leagues next year. Yeah, I think the question with all of these guys is going to come down to price. Because if yeah. If if even 10 or 15% of the fantasy universe thinks like forget it, I'm just writing off last season, I'm treating them like the star that they were before, they're the price is going to be too high for me. Because all it takes is one person in your league to believe that's what they're worth. Yep. If that's not the case, then I'm going to be really interested in them. And I think in keeper leagues, because this is where it gets really interesting. In a redraft league, it literally takes one person to believe that Nola's an ace and the price will be ace. It takes one person to believe that Bellinger is still an MVP candidate and he'll be a second round pick, right? Like it just takes one person to do that. In a keeper league, especially in a keeper league where the price on a guy like that is already low, like their salary is low or where salary doesn't matter or the keeper price is a draft pick that you're not worried about, something like that. It doesn't matter if there's one other owner in your league, one other manager in your league who loves that player. What matters is the manager who has them right now. It's like in an auto new league, I've got like, as an example, I have a $40 Cody Bellinger in uh, league one, the original auto new league. See you later. <laughs> I, I am probably not going to keep him. If there is someone else in my league, though, who's like, I don't know, I think Bellinger's going to bounce back and wants to make a trade. It doesn't matter if there's a third owner in our league or third manager in our league who thinks he's still a $55 player because he's he doesn't have to get to auction. You can make a trade and go get them. So I think one of the things I'm going to be looking at this offseason is trying to feel out you know, managers who have an inexpensive Grisham, managers who have NOLA on a good contract, managers who have a maybe a cheap Bellinger, are they done? And are they going to give up on them? Because sometimes you can get those guys cheaper by trading for them in December than you can by letting them be cut and try to pick them up at auction in March. So that's the only other thing I would think on them is that there may be an opportunity to to buy lower earlier in the offseason before the hype gets back up, before you get to a point where one other one other manager can just throw the the whole price curve off. So I, I, I really got to agree hard on that, especially with Nola, because, again, I think the closer we get to the start of the season, I think because of his underlying numbers, he's going to continue to rise draft boards. And 
like right before drafts or right before the MLB season begins is when his draft stock is going to be at its highest. And so the the longer you wait to acquire him because of these underlying numbers, I think the more you're going to have to pay. Yeah, I think that's right. So any other confusing guys, guys are throwing you off, guys you have questions about? Uh, not really. I think a team confused me for a while. You know, we were we were talking about relievers before the show started. And I don't know if you've seen what Giovanni Gallegos has been doing lately, but why this guy hasn't been closing for this team for the last like three seasons is just beyond me. Um, so I will go ahead and say that the Cardinals confused me. <laughs> yeah, Gallegos, I would just there's nothing confusing about that. The guy's just an excellent, excellent reliever. He's so good. He somehow. So the reason I bring him up is I have to imagine that's his job now oh yes on a permanent basis right i mean this he's not gonna lose it i don't think no no and the reason i bring him up is i so i've got him i I had him in a dynasty as he was just a a you know eighth seventh eighth inning guy because it's a saves holds league and like i'm please relievers especially if they don't have a closers job in a saves hold league i'll just i'll just ship them off and ship them up but somehow he he stayed on my roster until he got this closers league and he has been He's been like a playoff MVP. He has been unbelievable. Yeah, he's been great. Absolutely incredible. I've got him in a couple places as well, and I am very, very happy that I do. So, yeah, so if that's all our confusing <laughs> players. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the other thing going on right now, obviously, is stretch run and fantasy playoffs. And I think one of the things that I was, I was realizing um, earlier today is that the matchups for my starting pitchers matter so much in the championship. And in fantasy football, this is a thing people think about, right? It, at draft time, people are talking about like, yeah, you might like running back X better than running back Y, but running back Y is facing three atrocious defenses in the last three weeks of the season. That's fantasy playoffs. That's enough to bump them up and you draft them over that. I don't hear people talking about that. Like, and here's the example I'll use. In the CBS uh, head-to-head keeper league that I mentioned earlier, I've talked about a number of times on the show where I have Nola. My ace on that team is Kevin Gaussman. Now, Gaussman's been bad for a couple weeks, a couple months, a month, something like that. Leaving that aside, leaving aside how he's performed recently, his matchups this week are... He had San Diego earlier in the week. He is going to have a a start at Colorado this weekend. And then I'm trying to remember who he finishes with. He's got another, I feel like he's got another bad matchup coming next week. Uh, And I can't remember who with. Well, maybe not. They have Arizona coming up. So maybe it's. Maybe he's got Arizona, or maybe he pitches the final weekend. If he pitches the final weekend, they have San Diego again. So let's just assume that's what it is, because I'm not actually sure off the top of my head. But it is something along the lines of San Diego at Colorado, San Diego. That is about as bad a stretch as a pitcher can have in terms of matchups during the final two weeks of the season. And I didn't even look at that. It never occurred to me to look at my my team in in March or April. It occurred to me, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I start looking at who am I going to pick up, what free agents do I want, then those matchups start to matter to me. But I didn't stop back before the season and say, man, the Giants end the season at home with the Padres and before that they've got the Diamondbacks who are probably going to be terrible, but before that they're at Coors and before that they're at Petco. And that is, you know, maybe he gets one good start against Arizona in there, but otherwise he's got bad matchups and I should downgrade Gaussman because of that. Is that something we should be doing in fantasy baseball? <laughs> it's funny you started by talking about fantasy football because that was the first thing in my notes as well as like, you know, this is a thing in fantasy football and I think it rightfully is so. To me, fantasy baseball though, I mean, we have such a long season. It is such a gauntlet that it's really hard to put too much emphasis into that. Because so I wanted to look it up. So let's say the the playoffs started three weeks ago in leagues. Let me quickly give you seven pitchers and who their opponents were and just what they did. All right, I'll be quick. So we talked about Aaron Nola against the Pirates 
the Pirates six earned runs. Tristan McKenzie, who'd been unbelievable, and everybody was starting him because it's a two-start week, seven earned runs to Kansas City. Garrett Cole, seven earned runs to Cleveland, five innings pitched against Baltimore. In your in your playoffs, those two teams, Walker Bueller, it was at Colorado, so like, sure, I'm willing to write it off, but the Rockies are horrible this year, and Walker Bueller might walk away with the Cy Young. Five earned runs. Lance Lynn, seven earned runs against Frank Schwindel in the Cubs. Lucas Giolito just pitched four. Frank Schwindel is the best hitter in Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah, so. no, you're right. You're right. And Patrick <laughs> Wisdom's the second best, actually, and Ian Hap's the third. Right. So, you know, we can give Lance Lynn a break there. But last two, Lucas Giolito, his last three starts, four and a third against the Pirates, who he no hit last year. Four innings, that's it, against the Angels, and just five and a third against the Rangers. And then finally, Julio Urias, just five innings pitched against Arizona and four earned runs against Colorado. So uh, when you look at it from the opposite angle, like, yes, it's frustrating when we have our best pitchers and they're going against these great teams. It's it's just such a crapshoot at the end of the year that, like, if you had these aces going against these amazing teams, and I'm especially bitter about this because of Aaron Nola, you're, you're sitting there with an ERA over eight right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think that it, it's such a long season and that the matchups... I mean, a couple of things about this, like one, um, matchups for starting pitchers obviously matter. They don't, they don't not matter, but they're the game to game variation in performance is so high anyways. Right. And this is very different from football where like if a team has a bad run defense and you are Ezekiel Elliott, you are going to run for a lot of yards against them. Like it's just going to happen. If a team has a great run defense, it's going to be much harder. And yes, that that can break the other way from time to time. Sometimes it doesn't work that way, but it's it's at least in my mind, it's more predictable. It's more stable. Touchdowns are harder to predict, but like the overall performance, I think is a little easier to predict. The other thing is in baseball, we don't actually know the matchups. Right. We can't. So we can look at the Giants end of season schedule and maybe the Dodgers here. Actually, this is, a, this is a good example from that same matchup. You mentioned Bueller, right? So Bueller, if you had Bueller, he got stuck pitching at cores. He gave up five runs. You would have hoped for better, but cores is cores. My opponent in this championship matchup has Clayton Kershaw. Now, at the beginning of the week, when I looked at it, rosters, I was like, oh, he's got an ace from the from the Dodgers. And then I saw Bueller getting beat up and I was like, oh, good. My opponent's pitcher got beat up. And then I was like, oh, no, he's got a different ace from the Dodgers. And Kershaw missed the Coors series. So he's not pitching at Coors. And so it's like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I want to I like I was like, we're all excited that, oh, good. One of his better pitchers is going to get stuck with uh, at least a tough situation. But he didn't because that's just how the schedule broke. And so. I think that's the, those are the two things for me that that have me leaning away from worrying about this too much ahead of time is game to game variation is high and rotations move around so much that like, I don't know, I can't imagine many situations other than maybe Rockies, right? Rockies players, if you know that they have like three of their last four series at home or on the road, that might actually change how I think about their hitters or their pitchers at least for in the, in the future. I think that's something I will look at for the Rockies, but I can't think of almost any other team where it's so extreme that I'd be like, Oh, they've got this like three, you know, this three game series and this four game series and then this three game series. And like, it's just, you don't know who pitchers are going to face anyways. Yeah. And getting that far into the season, like we said, it, it's such a gauntlet that if I see, all right, the Rockies have a lot of series at home in September, that could be huge. Sure, it could, but that also means that they're going to have more games that are away before then, and you got to get there first. So in football, I get it. It's 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 a blitz, right? It's a sprint. In our game, it's just it's just so different. I approach it more of like I still care about the matchups. I definitely care more of if you're a good pitcher. Like obviously that that takes precedent to me. If you're not a good pitcher, I'm not just going to trot you out there against Baltimore. Like I, I don't care. You're you're probably still going to get shelled, but. If a guy's pitching well and he's he's 
he has a favorable matchup and you can stream him. That's that's when I start to care more about matchups, but it's it's hard to do it early in the year. Even at the trade deadline, like we tried to do it with your trade of whether to acquire you Darvish or Aaron Nola. And it, I can't remember which one. I think you said it was Nola had the more favorable matchups. And like <laughs> they both ended up stinking. So let's say yeah, they're both yeah, terrible. So it's, so it's, totally yeah, it's, it's just too hard to predict. But you're, the football thing, like the Ezekiel Elliott example, it's, it's so spot on. And it's why this it's not much of a comparison. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it just it had me sort of second guessing, should I be thinking about that? But the other thing, and I was mentioning this to you before we started, uh, even a two-week matchup, because this is a two-week matchup in this league, there's so much chaos that can happen anyways. And so before this matchup started, the, the commissioner of this league, this is a league I've been in for years, commissioner is a friend of mine from college. He happens to be the guy I'm up against in the finals. We were... I wouldn't even say we were talking crap to each other because we were just like discussing very politely what was going to happen in this matchup. And he was like, well, you're going to kill me in saves. It would take a miracle for me to win saves. And I was like, okay, well, we, we carry three relievers and he has Stecken Ryder, Rizal Iglesias, Will Smith. I've got Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, and Kenley Jansen. So I was like, okay, I can see that. Well, we're almost a week into this matchup. He's beating me in saves four to one. He has dropped second rider to add Joe Barlow. He did that today. So last night he dropped second rider and picked up Barlow and Barlow got a save today. My closers, my three elite closers on playoff teams that should be winning lots of games have had one save opportunity between them this week. One. Now it is currently the bottom of the eighth in Arizona. The Dodgers are leading four to two. Jansen though, I think has pitched two days in a row because they used him in the ninth of close games, which is the right thing to do, by the way, but it didn't do me any good. It, he gave me a couple good innings, but if he, if I'm right and he's pitched two days in a row, I'm willing to bet somebody else gets a save today. And, and so the Dodgers, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he hasn't pitched two in a row. I should double check that before I get too frustrated by this. But I'm just like watching this game unfold. I'm like, the Dodgers haven't gotten, like he hasn't gotten me a save in so long. And I really need those saves. And now they're going to get a save situation. And he's not going to get it. But I'm wrong. He does not go on two days in a row. He pitched yesterday. And he pitched on Tuesday. So he had a day off in between. Which means that he could, in fact, be available for a save today. So I'm changing my story. And instead of my story being that Jansen's not available, and so of course the Dodgers are going to get a save situation, my story is now that in the top of the ninth, the Dodgers are going to put up a two spot and have a you four. You know that's going to happen. So that just... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, there's nothing I can do about it. Anyways, so two straight appearances, especially for a guy like Jansen and a team that needs wins like the Dodgers, I think they they might still trot him out there, even if that was the case. It's one, once you get to three, though. Yeah, he's not coming back out there. Yeah, but I think he'll, I think you're right. I think he'll be out there. It'll be two days in a row if he goes today. I hope it's a safe situation because um, I could really, I could really use it. I would like to close that gap. Uh, yeah, I mean this this matchup like. I've got I've got clearly clearly the better closers. His starting rotation is Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Clayton Kershaw, uh, Carlos Rodon, Nate Yavaldi, Logan Gilbert, who's been great lately, um, and then he's got Nestor Cortez, Luis Garcia, who's been very good, and, and Ranger Suarez, who's also been really good lately. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Suarez. Uh, my rotation. Like I said, Gaussman's my ace. He's been bad lately. Frankie Montas, who's pitching pretty well today. I just picked up Eric Lauer, Max Fried, uh, Cal Contrell, Nola, who I made that trade for. Like, it's fine. It's I mean, there's a reason I'm in the finals. My team isn't bad, but his starting pitching is clearly better than mine. And my bullpen is clearly better than his. And yet we have six pitching categories, and I am winning four of them, and one of them is not saves. <laughs> so it's just like you can't predict this stuff. You can't, we, we all know you, you know, we all know that baseball is random and things happen that are unexpected. Um, the reason there's 162 game regular season though, is because a week or two is chaos. It's just chaos. It's just, it's, it's just craziness and it's, you don't know how it's going to play out. And I mean, I had a serious debate today about like whether Yoshi Tsutsugo or Kyle Schwarber should be on my bench. 
I ended up benching Willie Adamas, who hit a home run, which would really frustrate me, except my opponent benched Nick Castellanos, who had a home run and a stolen base. So whatever, it's a wash. It must be nice to be able to bench Nick Castellanos. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is an interesting one. I sort of think he's just making a mistake. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, his, his outfield, we start four outfielders. So he is starting Chris Bryant, Brandon Lau, Cedric Mullins, and Luis Robert. Now, Robert, Mullins, no-brainers. They should be in your lineup. Bryant, no-brainers should be in your lineup. But he's got Bryant in the outfield and Gene Segura as his third baseman. He's got Lau in the outfield with Nicky Lopez as his middle infielder. Now, you're going after stolen bases, fine. He's also got Carlos Correa as his utility guy right now. I don't think that Nick Castellanos at home against a non-elite pitcher is the right one of those players to bench. Now, I'd have to go back and look at like how everything sort of broke out in terms of who his pitchers are and, or sorry, who his, who his hitters were facing and stuff like that. But I don't know. I was very happy when I saw that Castellanos was locked on his bench, but I really struggled with the decision. I, I had to bench two hitters. So he, he has more pitchers than me. And so he only had to bench one hitter. I have to bench two hitters. Trent Grisham, I've been benching because he's been so bad lately and he's only on my roster because I want to keep him. Um, and I really struggled with the other decision. I don't know. The one good decision I made is one of the guys I considered benching was Brandon Nimmo. But I mentioned to you, I need on base and I need extra base hits, not home runs. I'm winning home runs, but I'm not winning doubles and triples. So Nimmo, one for three, a triple, a run scored and a walk for a 500 on base and a, an extra base hit did exactly what I needed him to do. Um, not enough. I'm still getting my butt kicked in that category. So whatever. Hey, man, take what you can get. Yeah. So anyways. I think that's about it. Do you have an auto new question of the day? Or are we we done for tonight? It's it is now it is after midnight. So we recorded this Friday night. It is now Saturday morning for Pete. <laughs> that's all right. I so, one one popped into my head as we were talking there. I think it would actually be a pretty good right. one. So we were talking about guys that you should target right now because we think you might actually be able to get them for a deal, even though their like value is at a low, right? Like Bellinger and Yelich and Nola were examples. Can you think of a player that other than and Grisham as well, we, we'll, we'll say he's off the table. A guy who's been a struggler who you might actually sneakily try to acquire because you think if you let him get to auction, he's actually going to go for more, even though he's having a bad season. Like really unique circumstances, but it applies to those four players. Is there anybody else? So it's funny. I wrote about this at Fangraphs this week where I write most about auto new stuff, and I listed three veteran players who I think are sort of interesting offseason targets. One of them was more of a draft guy. And that's Kwon Hyung Kim, the Cardinals starter, who's really struggled lately, but was very good for most of the year. Um, but I'll leave him aside because I don't think he's as much a trade target. Uh, the other two, and I, I, I pick these guys because they're getting dropped in leagues right now. So they've both been dropped in at least 10% of leagues over the last 30 days. But they're, they fit this where if you if they don't get dropped, but they're available for trade in the offseason, I'd be real interested. If they are dropped, I might pick them up. So one is, um, it's, a, it's a family affair. Since we talked about Aaron before, we'll talk about Austin Nola, who is, is not having a very good season, um, but is actually, there's some underlying signs that I think are pretty positive. And he is still a, he's still a, a guy who can put up pretty good offense for a catcher and is in a, any good offense. Um, his, his Woba on the year is three sixteen, which is pretty bad, but for a catcher ties him for 18th among catchers with 150 plus plate appearances, which in an auto new league where you need two catchers, like 18th is, is very playable. Um, he still has a three thirty five career line and, and that's, you know, this year, he's only gotten 190 some odd plate appearances, I think. So it's it's not like it's not like this year has been so extensive that we can be we can easily just sort of say like, oh, this is just who he is now. But lastly, he you know he had injuries this year. He's had some issues in September, 
And this is as of a couple days ago when I wrote this. In his first 44 plate appearances in September, it's only 44 plate appearances, he had a 342 Woba. His plate discipline has been good this year. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued. He's like he's chasing less. He's making more contact. His K rate is down. I think that the the very valuable fantasy catcher that he was for those the last two years is still there. Um, and I think that as people talk about him in the offseason and look at some of the plate discipline changes, his value may go up. And if you can get him cheap early in the offseason, I would. The other guy is J.D. Davis. And he's sort of a bad example because you ask for guys who are having bad years and J.D. Davis isn't really having a bad year. He's having an excellent year. He just doesn't play. And so he's getting dropped now because, um, again, this is a couple days old. But since August 25th, as of a couple days ago, he had appeared in 20 games over basically a 30-day period and had um, 33 total plate appearances over those 20 games. He had multiple plate appearances in a game just six times in that month and had four plate appearances in a game only twice. But there are a couple things that I think could happen this offseason. One, he could get traded. The Mets are going to make changes. Like The Mets are not not going to be happy this offseason, and there's going to be changes there. He could get traded. The other is, I think there's a good chance that we have a universal DH by the time we get to opening day 2022. And if we do, J.D. Davis will have a job. He's been too good a hitter not to have that job if the Mets have it to give him. So I think that he's the kind of guy who right now is, he's a bench bat. He never plays. I think anyone, any team who who has him in November and December will still be thinking that way. And if you can trade for him before Universal DH gets announced or before he gets traded to a team that's going to give him an everyday job, you'll be very happy you did. And if you wait, like... There's absolutely a situation where he's like five bucks. You don't want to trade for him. January 31st comes around and his manager cuts him. And then two days later, he gets traded to like, he gets traded to Cleveland. And in Cleveland, they are like, we're putting Fran Mill back in right field. And JD Davis is going to be our DH. And that's just what we're doing. And all of a sudden, his price at auction goes way up because he's got a full-time job. So I'll be looking at him in the off season as a guy that like, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna try to like trick anyone, but if his manager is looking to trade him, I, I would take him. Um, he's also the kind of guy that like, I think you may reach out to his manager and his manager might be like, I think there's gonna be universal DH or I think he's gonna get traded and I'm just waiting to see. I'm not moving him until I know what his value is. Nothing you can do about that. But if you can get him at a, man, who knows if this guy will even have a job or what's going on, price, do it. Yeah, and I I, I just, I, I love the J.D. Davis pick. And when you said he was having an excellent season, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that because I was a J.D. Davis guy. OPS of 814. I mean, that really, like, where did that come from? Um, but I just want to attack on one style of player, not a specific player, but one kind of player that I've been looking to add cheap right now so that I wouldn't have to pay up at auction. And that's, players who I think could be closers next year. Um, so the one that I, I acquired for a buck was Emilio Pagan, just because, first of all, it's Mark Melanson there. I believe he's going to be a free agent. And as great of a season as he's had, he's kind of trailed off now in the second half quite a bit. So maybe Pagan takes over. I don't know. They still have Pomerantz and others. But I'm going to continue to look at, like, could this player, player X, step in and take a job? The Twins called up a reliever. Last week, I think I want to say, oh, I don't want to say his name wrong. I can't remember who it was, but I threw a dollar bid at him because he had a crazy K9 in the minors and they don't really have a good closer situation. So I'm going to continue to do that. Um, just throw $1 bids at guys who maybe if, if I let them get to auction next year, they would have gone for like 10, 15 bucks because they're a closer. So to just throw a couple names out there at you, um, especially in auto new where you can have an unlimited number of 60-day IL guys. Kirby Yates and Ken Giles are both on the 60-day. They both should be back and healthy for the start of the season next year. And they are both absolutely in line to have save opportunities next year. And so um doesn't mean they'll have the jobs for sure. Like, you know, we'll see. But uh, I would look at both of those guys for sure, if they're available in your league. Yeah, those are great calls. 
What about a Roberto Osuna? Did we ever get a follow up on what's going on with that guy? I don't know, and I'll like I'll be honest. I'm a. I do my best. I want to be careful how I say this because um, I don't. I don't track every piece of news about every player well enough to know, like that I've got a whole roster of Boy Scouts in every one of my leagues. Sure. But I have a tendency to just stay away from guys who I who have off field issues that I find problematic. And his stuff with the domestic violence, just I'm not going to say I'm never going to roster him. I'm not going to say he'll never like. I, I don't feel the need to speculate on it. Sure. Um, and so I haven't actually really looked into what's going on. I, and I think like even if you wanted to speculate on him. The last I heard was he needed Tommy John and he wanted to try to rehab so he could just sign a contract and nobody signed him. So I don't know if he had the Tommy John or not. And if he didn't, obviously no interest there. But that kind of player, the the Giles, the Yates, maybe the Pagan, I think he could be a good closer. Um, that's that's the type of player that I'm looking to, to just stash right now because I'm out of it. Yeah, it's the right thing to do is look for those guys and, and see if you can see if you can add them. So with that, uh, Pete, we will let you get to sleep. Enjoy your weekend. It is it is late. I appreciate you staying up. I appreciate our listeners staying up if it's late where you are listening. If it's early, I appreciate you waking up early to listen to us. If I appreciate you letting us join your commute. Whatever it is you're doing, whatever time of day it is, we appreciate that you made us part of it. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Remember to subscribe to keep a cut. Remember to leave us ratings and reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can find Pete at Pete B baseball. You can find me at Chad young. Love to hear from you. If there's stuff you want us to cover, especially with the off season coming, let us know. Uh, We want to, we want to record what you want to hear. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week.